Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Zinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. We have one of my favorite writers here at the Manuscript Academy podcast today, Liz Goulet Dubois. Welcome, Liz. Hi, everybody. Glad to be here. Just to set the scene, Liz has the most amazing background of what looks like incredible once in a lifetime figurines. Can you tell us about what's going on in your beautiful room? Oh, this is my studio. And I am not a fan of blank walls, so I have a lot of stuff. I like to have a lot of visual (laughs) stimulus, shall we call it. Back there is a lot of my collections, some of them since I was a kid, like rubber-headed puppets from the 50s, (laughs) lots and lots of children's books, a lot of vintage Disney, Star Trek. Yes, things like that. We are here today, first of all, to talk about you have a new book out in the world. So tell us the inspiration for this delightful picture book. Duck and Cluck started off like a lot of my things do, just as a rough sketch. A lot of times I'm just drawing for fun with no plan. So I'm just drawing, watching TV, whatever, and see what happens with it. A lot of times characters come out of that. And these two characters came out almost just the way they are now. And there was already an egg between them. So there was a duck, there was a chicken, they were yelling at each other, and there was an egg that is still in the book. I would post these things on my Instagram and stuff and just say, oh, there's an argument happening here. Or I would give a little line of story. And then quite a few people said to me, what's their deal? What's happening here? So I was able to just take it a little further, sketch around with those characters until it became a framework of a story, at least. That's how it starts. <laughs> and that's how a lot of my things start. Just simultaneously written and illustrated. Usually it's the picture first. I was going to ask about that because there's almost a red herring in the blue polka dotted bill of the duck. And so I thought the story was going one direction for sure. I was like, I found that detail. I felt like the cleverest five-year-old in the world. Like, yes, I (laughs) found it. I love it. I see what's happening. Did you do that on purpose? Were you misdirecting us? Of course. (laughs) Yeah. So the egg had to maybe belong to both of them or neither of them or whatever. There is an argument to be made that either of them could have owned the egg. So you're a writer, artist, and designer. How do you use all of these when it comes to the making of a picture book? Yeah, I have a big background in product design and toy design. So like I was literally in a studio setting for almost 30 years doing that kind of stuff, simultaneously writing and illustrating at night because I love all of this stuff. And I always found that they are very similar, honestly. Coming up with a product and its name and really the story behind it too for marketing copy and what have you, very similar in a lot of ways to writing. I know a little bit about these designs that you were talking about. And so to give the listeners just an example, can you tell us like what the Manatee product did? When I say product design, it's like most of my products are either toys or functional. So Mm -hmm. they definitely have a childish quality to them. Some of my most popular designs are (laughs) silicone tea infusers. The first one was called Mr. T. You'd pull (laughs) off his pants, put tea leaves in the pants, and then he hangs out in the teacup. 
and then there's the manatee same thing it comes apart in the middle you fill it with the tea you hook it into your teacup so it's a little manatee hanging and you may have seen these things because they've been out there already Aww. for quite some years lots of things like that though so they have a little bit of a story there <laughs> can you tell us about your educational background in this you've been a teacher at the rhode island school of design but you also went there right that's right. Yeah. Going backwards a little bit, I did. I went to Rhode Island School of Design. I graduated in 89 with an illustration degree, but I also did a lot of animation while I was there. So both of these things, illustration, animation are really linked to me. And I think this is why like now my books are kind of leaning towards a uh, comic book. So yeah, I went to RISD and I got recruited out of RISD into the toy business. <laughs> We would have a portfolio day and show your portfolios to all these companies that would come. It was pretty cool because a company called Raspberry and Company, it was in New Jersey, big manufacturer of plush, real toys and giftware, ceramics, things like this. I got recruited by my first art director there and I moved to New Jersey. That was a big thing because that was the first time moving anywhere. And I was moving to this big corporate design firm. And I was one of, I don't know, maybe 14, 16 of us in the studio. I learned so much. I was only there for two years, but I learned oh, so much. And the animation background really helped because you need to crank out work <laughs> when you're in that kind of a situation. So there I was cranking out work fast. And they loved that. And they were throwing money at me. And it was great. The only reason I left there at all was I wanted to live in Rhode Island. So we quit our jobs in New Jersey. My husband was also a graphic designer in New Jersey too. So we quit them and we moved back to Rhode Island. And I found a job just by going through catalogs and things, which you could do back then. It's like, oh, which companies are in Rhode Island? I'm going to go down this list, literally calling them all and say, hey, because now I had this portfolio of products already. So I yeah moved back to Rhode Island, moved into this job, which is the one I stayed at for 27 years. I think it's so interesting when you look at someone's like a picture book and you think, oh, that's so cute. But I realize you have all of this experience that goes into that oh, yeah. picture book. You can see all the inspiration over those years, which is why I asked you about the background. It's a culmination of a career doing this type of thing for sure. Let's dive back into design. Both Cluck and Duck have specific design choices that impact the plot. Did that come naturally to you? Yeah, I did keep them very simple. I like the way the contours of their shapes look. They have those patterns that kids can hone in on, as does the egg. Those are definitely conscious choices. And in parts of the book where it is not on the whitish background, that's deliberate too. That's so you can follow different kinds of things in those scenes. I can't help but picture you in a creative mode all the time. How do you get to that place? And how can everyone out there who's listening just be like, Ooh. I'm going to be creative right now and do it? I do feel like there is inspiration everywhere, <laughs> like literally everywhere. Walk out your door, look super close at things. Everything suggests a story, a piece of art, or just something you want to do. And if you can just like hone in on that, I think that is most of the battle right there. Like to just not get distracted by the laundry and <laughs> allow yourself to not think too hard about that kind of stuff. I've decided that housework is my lowest priority and I have not looked back or regretted it since. <laughs> Once you get used to like, oh, wait, things don't have to be perfect around me to work, to do stuff. That's very freeing right there. Yeah, as long as it's not like Mrs. Maisella, she's crashing into everything all the time. I think it's probably fine. She had to rearrange her furniture properly. 
Yes. <laughs> I, I tried to do that during a Zoom the other day and I knocked out my Wi-Fi router right in the middle. Oh. It was, oh dear. Yeah. And I was like, hello, yeah. hello. <laughs> so funny. You have this kind of secret cool thing about you. You brought up being a Star Trek fan, but I also know that you're in the <laughs> Star Trek Museum of Germany. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that did happen. That's an interesting thing. A couple of years ago, I was really into watching Star Trek Discovery. It's one of their newer series. And I did this just for fun, a line of vintage Valentine cards with the characters in them. And I posted them and I tagged all the actors who were in them and stuff. And they found them. They spread them around. Some of them went viral. The weather guy in Germany found one of the designs. He's the German voice for one of the characters. And he found the card and he asked me if he could use the design on a t-shirt so he could wear it on TV during the weather report on Valentine's Day. And he also runs a museum in Germany about Star Trek. So my T-shirt is in the museum now. We're always yeah. talking about like, how do you make platform? How do you find people to follow you? You never know how one you never know can change everything when it comes to a platform or even opportunities or things like that. Fascinating. I got to say, that is why I think it's important to just do the things you want to do. I did those because I just thought they were funny and I like Valentine's and Star Trek. And that was literally why I made them. I just kept having funny ideas to me and I just put them out there. You could never guess that those things would happen from there, but sometimes they do. But I think that is the key thing to just do your thing that you are compelled to do. And the people yes, who, who get it will find you. I think that's the very best way to exist in the world. So you do what yes. is most interesting to you, even if you can't yeah. define it or explain it or tell people why it's cool, just yet, just keep doing it and the explanation will follow. I think so. But then I think somewhere along the line, we all forget, like when you're a teenager or something, then you morph into other things. Because, you know, kids are very free with their creativity and have no fear about jumping on a piece of paper and drawing things. It really comes later. It really needs to be encouraged, I think, <laughs> from a young age and maintained because Adults are that way too sometimes. I'm always surprised like the walls that adults put up for themselves in art. Oh no, you have to do it this way. I was taught to do it this way. You can start there, but then go figure out what's the most you thing about this piece of art or whatever you're going to write. Yeah, That makes so much sense. And I guess the natural question is, can you tell the listeners about your agenting journey and your publication journey? Oh, sure. I'll go way back because when I first started doing books, which was probably early-ish 2000, my first agent was more of an educational agent. So I did a lot of like highlights, magazines, educational workbooks, this kind of thing. It was good, pretty steady work. I was doing that simultaneously, like I said, with product design. So I had like full-time job and then would do that kind of stuff at night or fit it in whenever. But I always wanted to keep doing that and simultaneously trying to write my own books. My first agent, Maggie, she did sell my first book, which is a baby board book, but it's also pop-up. And when I look back on that, it's, oh, wow, it's really a relative of duck and cluck still. I think I was still always drawn to doing these same kinds of things. I just love animals and bright patterns and shifting expectations. Let's call it that in the story. <laughs> and then I had another agent that did not work out <laughs> more recently after I quit my job a few years back, close to four years now that I left product design to do books full time. 
I got an agent at that point and it was like, hooray, excellent. Everything's in place now, but it just didn't work out. It was not like a good fit with us. We just struggled back and forth and we never submitted anything within a year or so. I was very lucky to shortly after that, go to a SCBWI agent editor thing where Rachel Orr was there from Prospect Agency and she was in my session and she introduced me to this new agent, Charlotte who had just signed on at Prospect Agency. And I've been with Charlotte now for close to three years, and that's going great. So you have two in the Duck and Cluck series, and then right. you have Vincent. Yeah, the Duck and Cluck series. So far, it's two books. We got the second one will come out hopefully this year. We'll see on the timing there. And that's from Source Books. And my second series is from Pixel and Ink, and it is called Vincent, and Vincent is a toad. He has three best friends who are also amphibians, a bullfrog, a tree frog, and a salamander. There's going to be two books in that series. First one is Summer 23, and the next one is Winter 24. Talking about books coming out, what was it like when you saw your first book for sale? Going by the first one I wrote and illustrated, because that was like the most exciting one to see. I remember going like to a bookshop in New Hampshire and seeing it there like, oh, it's on a shelf. It's a real thing. But no kidding. It was nice, but it wasn't like overwhelming. That would be cute if people had parties in the aisles of bookstores where they could see their book, put down a picnic, have some champagne. Nobody would mind that at all. I have yet to see Duck and Cluck in a real bookstore, even though I've been to a couple. And for the best reason, when I ask them, do you have this book? They're like, we had it. It's sold out. I'm like, yes. Yay. <laughs> so, so I still have yet to see it in a bookstore. <laughs> so Liz, you've been in the designing and marketing business for a long time. What is the best way, in your opinion, to market a picture book? You cannot ignore the online component. It's just so important now to do that have Twitter, Instagram. I just started a TikTok, mostly to follow other people. It's not so big yet, huh? For book people. It's just starting, it seems. Oh, book talk? Yeah. Well, we're introverts, but it's definitely there. I love how you've been creating. So one, your website is so vibrant and fun. And you have that amazing, don't click on this button. (laughs) (laughs) And when you click on the button, like this red starts flashing and it's so interactive. I think that there's always things that you can do if your books are going to spark whimsy, having that whimsy wherever you are Mm -hmm. is really important. And I feel like you've done a particularly good job of just branding yourself across multiple platforms. I just feel like you have a great balance with it. Thanks. I think what really makes a big difference on social media is being genuine without being like deeply personal. I do like to say what's going on in my real life and just connect it to what is happening in my art life. and. I think that just makes you a real person. Well, it's interesting because as you were talking about how some kids just dive at those 20 sheets of paper and go for it, I was thinking, okay, well, there need to be classes for adults so they can continue Mm. being open like that. And then you were saying, well, adults have all those walls. And I was thinking, does that mean that every time an adult gets hurt, they're like, oh, not going in that direction again. They didn't like my picture. I'm never drawing again. So. Twitter seems like it's full of those. Mm. You say something, one person is like, nope, you're wrong. And you're like, ah, never using social media again. (laughs) Goodbye. But you're right. Before this, I was tweeting about how happy I was to put up all this acoustic foam. And then after this, I will say, and then the backdrop I was so happy with fell down five. (laughs) Whoops. Things happen. That's real. It's a little glimpse into the real life. I try to keep my social media stuff pretty art based. But, you know, I've also just thrown this out there. 
I've been going through a cancer battle this year. So that certainly has impacted how I work and the kinds of things I'm posting and what I'm saying about them. And without still getting into too, too much detail there, I think it's good to let people know where your direction is coming from. Yeah. And it's hard if you've got something large going on and not saying it, exactly. then it builds a wall too. Yes. It's like you can't not say something when it's that big of a thing. And for the most part, it's been like amazing, honestly. People are just so nice. And then this is also how you find out what other people are going through. Yeah. We're in a human business. Also don't get know. bent out of shape too easily. So that's helpful because between the product design, which would draw 20 different products and then maybe one would make it through. So I'm just like super used to like rejection. It's not a bad thing to kind of have to regroup fast and keep going. And that's certainly true with books, right? Get used to rejection. Make it your friend because <laughs> there's really no other way. What do you wish new picture book writers knew about the publishing process? Pretty much that a lot of people who enter a picture book business just thinking it's, oh, this is fun. This is just cute. It's going to be easy. And oh, man, no, it's such an industry behind it. And it's full of rejection. And you cannot let that get in your way. If you're really driven to do it, you just do it. Like we were talking about earlier, it's like just finding the things that are you, the most you about your art and your writing and sallying forth with that. And not everybody's going to like it and that's okay. Not every publishing house is going to have the proper slot for your book that season. It just doesn't work out that way too often. So when it does work, it's great, but you can only get that to happen if you're in the game and don't lose track of it. I think that's the perfect place to close. You've already talked about how we can find you online. Liz. Thank you yeah. so much. Everyone, make sure you run out. Should we give away a book, Jessica? Yeah, let's yeah. give away a book. What's a special keyword? So oh, yeah. if they can email us this keyword and we will send them a, a book. special keyword. Ooh, a keyword. Um, <laughs> mini golf. <laughs> okay. The first person to email academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with mini golf in the subject line will get a copy of Duck and Cluck. Yes. And it is delightful. Also, I can't help but ask at the end, there is a moment that feels to me delightfully petty. That is on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Good. Just wanted to make sure. Just just so you know, Duck and Cluck are friends. There's always yeah. just Do a little something name? between them. Did we get the name right of the book? I think we're missing a part of the name. Like uh, it's a Duck it and Cluck series. That Egg is Mine, book one of the Duck and Cluck series. Yes. Yay. Uh, Liz, thank you. I'm so glad we got to do this. Me too. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com. <laughs>